Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever and wherever it is that you're listening. Welcome to Indubitably. My name is Josh. My name is Kelly. And we're going to be starting today's episode with a question. Do you believe in fate? Hmm, that's an interesting one. Do you? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. Am I allowed to be partially believing in something? Fine, I suppose. <laughs> what about you? I don't. No. Not in the old-timey Greek, you know, King Leonidas scaling a mountain to consult with the oracle's sense of fate. Certainly, I don't believe in that. But there are things that happen, like weird coincidences or deja vu or something that tells you like somebody was in the right place at the right time. Like I heard a story on TikTok. Mm. I'm always going to bring it back to TikTok. <laughs> okay. Now I believe in fate. Kelly will always bring up TikTok. This girl is telling a story about her aunt tripped and fell and got hurt. And I'm not going to go into details because it's like a really upsetting story about how she got hurt, but they had to do an x-ray to examine the damage of where she got hurt. And they found that she had an impending aneurysm in her carotid artery. So she, like, her life was saved by getting hurt. I mean, I believe in coincidences. But that's like, that's like, that's something else, isn't it? That's just wild. I don't know. Billions of people on the planet doing billions of things. Of course, there's going to be situations like that. It's like the infinite monkeys and infinite typewriters. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare's coming out eventually. Okay. <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> Do you believe in horoscopes? You want to hear something a little embarrassing? Yeah, absolutely. This is our best material when you embarrass yourself. I have my astrological sign tattooed on me. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I take that as a yes. <sighs> I really like being a Scorpio. Whether or not it like is true, the identity of Scorpio has, I think, shaped a little bit of how I operate in the world mm. we'll have to come back to that whether or not you think that being a scorpio has molded you in a certain way or maybe the fact that you know you're a scorpio kind of predetermined how things would play out i definitely am the most shy scorpio ever a lot of scorpios are wild <laughs> maybe the most famous example of fate would be Oedipus Rex by Sophocles. Do you know the story? Mm, yeah, I think I read it in elementary school, which is kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah, right, if you really think about what happens. For our listeners that might not know, when Oedipus was a baby, an oracle told his parents that he would grow up to murder his father and marry his mother. Creepy stuff here. Gross. And so to avoid this fate, his parents like shipped him off to be adopted, you know, somewhere else to a different family. I think they were like, all right, if we just get him as far from us as possible, this could never happen. However, <laughs> dum bum bum. It's <laughs> <laughs> your turn to do it this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, though, he heard about this prophecy and thought that his adopted parents were his real parents. So he had the idea, okay, if I want to avoid my fate, I need to get as far away from what he thought my real parents as possible. And then on his journey to escape this fate, ran across his real dad, who had shipped him away all those years ago, murdered him, and then, uh, yeah, ended up meeting the widow, falling in love, and fulfilling this prophecy. Maybe if people had just been honest with him. Yeah, that does seem like a, the trend of every movie is in a desperate attempt to avoid fate. You guarantee that you actually played out. I'm reading a lot of novels lately where if people just told each other details that they think that they shouldn't be telling other people, if they just leveled with other people, the book would be over in like 40 pages. <laughs> and then you would reach your end of the year goal a lot faster. I'm already, I'm on the way. I'm on the way. <laughs> Probably my favorite movie that, that treats this question of fate well would be The Matrix, which we have done an episode on before. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? There's a lot of discussion of high-minded concepts in The Matrix, but which one are you thinking of? The one with the vase. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. We should play that out for our listeners who haven't. It's between the Oracle and Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, of course. I'll be Keanu Reeves. Oh, cool. I'm the Oracle. I'm really good at baking cookies. 
Mm-hmm. See, it's fitting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm I'm doing the actor centering myself, James Lipton. Okay, I'm I'm the Oracle now, and I'm Keanu Reeves. Okay, you're not going to be Neo. <laughs> you're just going to be Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I'd ask you to sit down, but you're not going to anyway. And don't worry about the vase. What vase? As I proceed to turn around and knock over a vase of flowers, breaking it on the floor. That vase. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, don't worry about it. I'll get one of my kids to fix it. How did you know? Oh, what's really going to bake your noodle later is, would you still have broken it if I hadn't said anything? Damn, that's such a good question. I really liked your Neo. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Keanu Reeves. Damn, that's such a good question. Whoa. <laughs> oh, man. No, that is a good question. Yeah. It's like, don't think of a pink elephant. I bet I know what you just thought of. A pink elephant. Whoa. <laughs> Are you going to do the whole episode like <laughs> no, this? No, I don't think I can. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> tackles controversies that define your world listen to indubitably now extra extra read all about it this idea of fate that we're talking about has in modern times morphed into an idea that's known as determinism so in today's episode we'll talk a little bit about what that is whether or not we think that it's true, and then finish the episode with the ramifications of its existence. That sounds like a good plan. Well, whether we wanted it to be the plan or not, that's how this episode was always going to play out. Okay. 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 You see what I did there? <laughs> Determinism is a philosophical view where all events are determined completely by previously existing causes. So it's some sort of psychological or philosophical cause and effect type of situation. Right. And uh, scientifically, I think most of us know that this is true. Presumably, for example, once the universe was put into motion, its outcome was predetermined. If we buy that there are unbendable laws of physics, whatever action that took place, the Big Bang, what have you, must have led to a pre-designated next action and next, so on and so forth, until we are where we are today. If you buy that? I don't know if I buy that. And and the reason I, I'm not sure is I'm thinking about bananas. Okay. Do you know that the banana that we eat, the variety, the Cavendish, is a clone? Yeah. it's a It's a specific type of engineering that has led to all of the bananas that we can get commercially, just like your standard banana at the grocery store is a clone. And yet I bet that you get bananas that are slightly different shapes or sizes all of the time, even though they're clones. So how does that work? I think you're bringing up a good point here. And if we look back to the Big Bang, no humans around, no genetically modified bananas, things theoretically through physics, gravity, what have you, play out in a specific way, but human beings might be the X factor in this equation, you know, because we're special. The, the world didn't know that we would create the Industrial Revolution. It didn't know that we would decide that we just like to go really fast and we wanted to destroy our entire planet to find fuel for going fast. Didn't know that we hate polar bears, et cetera, et cetera. But are humans the inevitable outcome of the Big Bang? all of the things that were predetermined and got us here on this little floating piece of rock around the sun. Mm -hmm. But I think that this particular debate gets interesting, not pre-humans, but when we actually apply this idea of determinism to humans. So was a rock floating around in space predetermined to get there? As soon as a chain of events was set into place with the Big Bang, whatever it was, yes. Was Earth predetermined to come into existence? Yes. But now that Earth is here, humans are here, and we have our little lives that we go about, are our lives predetermined in that same way? Or do we have some control over them? Do we have the ability to change our circumstances, our decisions, our actions, etc.? 
There's so much about the way that we live that is constrained by decisions that were made before we got here or conditions from before we got here. We were born in the countries we were born into with the genetic code that we were born with. So there's limits to what we are able to control, taking those factors into account. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everyone is familiar with the idea that you're affected by nature and nurture. But most people still think that the you that is affected is part of the equation. Sure, you can be influenced by your genetics or the events of your life, but ultimately, you still have control over your decisions and actions. Right. We have free will. That's a basis for so much of our society is the idea that we control how we react to what happens around us. Uh, And that's the debate today. A determinist would suggest that free will does not exist. And this starts to get us back pretty close to the idea of fate. It does feel like we have free will, though. I'm the captain of this ship. I'm the captain now. Does it feel like that? Or do we just really want to believe that we have free will? Am I going to have an existential crisis because of this, Josh? It is very likely, but I'm not sure. That's determined by your genetics. Oh, then then it's almost certain I will. (laughs) Or you could just decide not to have an existential crisis if free will exists, right? Mm, Yeah, we'll go with that as being what I think is going to happen. Mm. (laughs) But if, if you think that, or you, or at least you want to think that, if the rest of the world, the rest of the universe is governed by these prior causes or natural laws, what makes humans different? Our brains, the complex thoughts that we have. We are able to affect so much of what has happened in this world by the fact that we continue to shape it and come up with new ideas for how to exist in it and make things more sophisticated, elegant, complex. But I think there's a lot of proof out there that actions, whether it's the universe, whether it's animals getting close to us, or even people are predetermined. But there is no scientific model to prove or observe free will. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily proof that it doesn't exist. I think if you reference our God episode, there's also no scientific model for consciousness. But we do, for the most part, agree that consciousness is a thing. So it's not necessarily a disqualifying argument against free will, but it doesn't help or it doesn't help us make a decision here. Well, regardless of how much we're able to actually test for anything, it does seem that we have something that resembles a consciousness. And it therefore seems very likely that the purpose of having a consciousness is to make decisions that are in our best interest and an expression of our actual wants and needs, therefore ultimately being our free will. Or perhaps consciousness is nothing more than the playing out of the various algorithms and calculations that are inputting our biology and experiences and spitting out the result that we're destined to live by. I categorically reject the idea that my brain is capable of that level of complex mathematical processing. (laughs) All right. Well, give yourself some credit, Kelly. I did pass algebra. Barely. (laughs) (laughs) To complicate things further, some people take this to the next level and introduce a concept known as biological determinism. So in the you-nature-nurture equation, a determinist would take you out, removing free will, leaving nature and nurture. A biological determinist would take the nurture out as well. Every choice you make is determined exclusively by your genetics or biology. That's an interesting thought. There are definitely things that we can or cannot do or worse or better at because of certain things that are evident in our biology. Like I will always bonk my head on the car getting into it because I'm a little bit taller than the car was meant for. That's the kind of stuff you're talking about, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe that does have effect on, on things down the road, but I think this is more talking about the choices that people make, the decisions, the values these sorts of things. So your physical genetics manifesting themselves in 
conscious level outcomes? Hmm. What job do you choose? How do you interact in relationships? Do you like ice cream or broccoli? Yeah, there's no way I'm ever going to like black licorice. And that must have been something that was built into my coding, I'm assuming. Yeah, so I think I guess a way to think about this is besides licorice, you might be placed in different situations as a result of nurture. So that could control where you're ending up in life, you, just the randomness that is life events, but how you respond in those circumstances is predetermined by genetics or so says the biological determinist. Maybe something like our fight or flight response is steered by that genetic background, whether or not we rise to a challenge or we completely freeze or flee. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most people would want to think of themselves, again, this whole idea that free will feels right. If I was in a circumstance like that, I would do X. But as we <laughs> as we know, a lot of people in circumstances like that don't do maybe what they hope they would or what they would have guessed that they would. That reminds me of a little shortcoming I've found in myself. I've taken some self-defense classes, and I think I'm a pretty good speaker and can string words together kind of okay. But anytime I encounter a real-world threat or aggressor or, say, a very gross dude who's being inappropriate in a bar, I cannot say anything in the moment to actually challenge their behavior. I can think of anything that I would want to say, but I couldn't actually bring myself to do it. Mm. And if you had imagined that situation before you were in it, your free will, how do you think you would have played it out? Well, I've never known myself to be that kind of confrontational person. So I think that I've always been trying to overcome my inability to say anything. So you were kind of aware beforehand that that is probably how you would react when you got put in that situation for the first time? Well, I mean, the first time any girl is put into that situation is usually elementary school. So I kind of had a feeling. Mm. That's dark. Although starting that kind of situation that early on in life, probably an argument for nurture. Or if this is something that you, like probably most every female has been dealing with for that long and you still haven't gotten to the version of yourself that you would hope would show up, maybe that's an argument for biological determinism, that your genes have decided how you will respond to that situation. And no matter how often or how hard you try, you're not going to change that. It certainly seems like it's something I can't overcome. And I have been given so many tools to enable me to do so. And it still just hasn't happened. Another example might be two children in similar situations that develop completely differently. Children who experience abuse, a good portion go on to abuse their loved ones in turn. A good many don't. There's certainly a strong argument there that which path they end up on is determined by their genetics. I don't know about that. I don't like the idea of people somehow not being culpable for their actions. I think the emphasis on evaluating why people who were abused go on to become abusers has to do with something in that situation shaping the outcome based on things that were unique to those people and those exact circumstances. It's true. No, no two situations are completely identical, even if they share the same sort of overarching defining characteristics. So one question for this episode is, out of free will, nature, and nurture, which one or combination of the three controls our choices? The other interesting thing to consider here is what the ramifications of determinism would be. So even though instinctively, I think we would all like to think that we have free will, Let's for a second assume that these determinists, whether it's biological or otherwise, are correct. What does that mean for society at large? What does that mean for your life, my life, the way we live it, etc.? And from all of that, here's the biggest and perhaps maybe the umbrella impact of everything. 
free will is a prerequisite for the existence of moral culpability. We cannot be a good or a bad person if we didn't have a choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. We mentioned our God episode. We should probably cite our episode on whether or not evil exists as well. And one of the things that we pointed to as a necessary factor to qualify as evil was intent. Well, how can you intend something if you didn't even choose to do it or think it? There's a whole lot of implications of that if you extrapolate it to situations where people claim to have lost control or claim credit for things that they really shouldn't have. Yeah, for those of you who might not have listened to that episode, it was our Halloween special. And so we used various Halloween characters slash villains. One of the characters that we used to examine this question of whether or not evil exists was Jason from the Friday the 13th series. And when he's younger, he had some horrible things happen, pushed into a lake, basically drowned. Camp counselors were negligent. And because of that, came back. Now he's a serial killer. And the question that we asked there that I think is relevant in this episode as well is, were those circumstances enough to justify his actions? Like, did they almost force him to become a serial killer, in which case he wouldn't be pure evil? And here, it fits nicely into this discussion of, did those actions determine that he became the thing that he became? Or did he have a choice? Could he have denied his genetic urges to respond in the way that he did? Could he deny such extreme nurturing circumstances? It's a weird word to use for being pushed into a lake, but, you know, the nurture as opposed to the nature. Or did he have free will? What we hear a lot of, especially if you watch a lot of procedural drama, bum, bum, bum. like Law and Order, which I said I was going to stop watching, but I didn't. <laughs> oh, you lied to us. That was our no. true crime episode. I have to fess up. I still watch. Is that so many people are told, yes, it's horrible what happened to you, but what you choose to do next is still a choice. And if you were abused or hurt before, you then choose if you're going to break a cycle or if you're going to perpetuate it, even if horrible things are trying to steer your influence, we still have the ability to exert some control and do what is right. Because even if you have biological predispositions and were nurtured into being a certain way, there are still prevailing codes of ethics that we're all aware of as well in society. Where's the influence of that? Okay, but is that something that's true? Or is that something that we just psychologically need to be true? We need, as victims of crimes, an explanation for why the crime happened or a way to avoid it happening again or a way to just make ourselves feel better by calling somebody evil, by saying they're a bad person. The, the person that assaulted my daughter is a bad person. It doesn't feel good good to us to think that, well, they didn't have a choice and we had no way of avoiding this. It was meant to happen. It was predetermined. I just don't think people would want to live in that world. And so we construct this narrative of free will to give ourselves a way to believe that we don't. I agree. People are very uncomfortable with the idea of being victims of circumstance and things happening randomly without a reason. So they search for a reason because there's a gap that exists when you don't have one. But I don't know that it's satisfying to get an answer when the answer is they're an evil person. Mm. And that is where I think this idea of determinism is seeing some pushback. And one of the major critics of the concept would be the church the premier arbiter of morality, and the majority of religions hold free will as a central tenet of their doctrine. So similar to the examples we're talking about just societally, it would not be good for the church if determinism was found out to be real. You just imagine, well, 
you already know if you're a good or a bad person because that was already established before you even made a choice to become a member of the church. So enjoy your spot in heaven. You're you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't get much turnout on Sundays if that was the case. Mm. And again, just the the definition of determinism is the non-existence of free will. And if that is a sort of a building block of religion, certainly religion has a reason to push back against this concept. Uh, like, you know, a lot of science and history that has sort of been delayed at the hands of religion, like the earth being round. But there are aspects of religion that seem to put a lot of human choice into the hands of a deity. There are circumstances that are prayed about and people ask for certain outcomes to happen that people otherwise would have control over, like make this person do the right thing, et cetera, et cetera. Or people asking for God's intervention in choices that they have to make, somehow surrendering whatever they believe is their free will to their spiritual guide. Right. We are talking about determinism as sort of the generic term on this episode with biological determinism as a subset of that. Certainly theological determinism would be a different subset of that. And I think that religions, if it's God that's determining things, would probably be happy um, to accept that. But perhaps if genetics, which In our God episode, we pointed out that sometimes God and science are not in as much conflict as people might believe. If you are religious, I would imagine you would think that God created genetics as well as the circumstances that would lead to determinism. So you might argue that there is no determinism other than theological determinism. But that argument aside, I do think that a determinism separate from God would undermine a lot of religious beliefs. Much like we're discussing about morality in and of itself, evaluating the merit of a person's behavior with the understanding that they chose to be one way or the other, religion also requires free will as a as a basic precept of its entire influence and justification. They base a lot of the evaluation of a person and their goodness or badness on these standards and prescriptions of morality, which necessitate the existence of free will to assign value to a person's actions and therefore reward them with heaven or condemn them to hell. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting contradiction between some degree of determinism and a need for free will to exist for all of us. (laughs) Like this has always been a strange thing to me is if you have a religion where God is omnipotent, then God theoretically knows the actions you will take before you take them. And in that sense, if your actions are predetermined, how can you have free will? The choice that you wanted to make has already been made because God, he slash she, you're welcome, Kelly, knows which choice you're going to make. You know what choice I'm about to make right now? Thank me for being so progressive. Make sure that you include they when talking about God as well. We don't know God's pronouns. All right. Well, all the gods and all their expressions of themselves any way that they would like. How can they be omnipotent and we have free will at the same time? Well, just because a deity would be omnipotent, meaning all powerful, does not necessarily mean that they exercise that. I think a lot of the explanation you get from religious people when they are pressed with a question of why didn't God prevent this tragedy or why didn't God make me do this or give me the power to choose better or whatever is that God chooses not to act to allow people to prove their own merit through their free will. Mm. So uh, this this is me, I think, using the wrong term actually here. It, if God is omnipotent in terms of all-powerful and chooses not to be, that's one thing. But if God is omniscient, so this is not to suggest that he would change or influence anything, but he would just know. So if you have a choice between a dog and a cat, and God knows that you're going to choose the cat, you can't choose the dog. And if you can't choose the dog, can you have free will? Is knowing about what will be the case before it happens necessarily deciding that that's the outcome? Not necessarily, but it means that you can't choose the opposite, right? 
but you wouldn't. It's like precognition, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's that minority report? So this is an interesting concept of determinism also in this particular case, we're applying it to religion, but just the idea that if you were already going to choose cat, which we know that you would, if you were already going to choose cat, does the fact that you could not have chosen dog matter? You made the choice that you were going to make anyways. If the other choice was blocked off to you, but you never would have gone with it regardless, do you still have free will or has that been determined? Now I'm wondering if I should have become a dog person. Could Jesus microwave a burrito so hot that even he couldn't eat it? There's so many questions that are coming up and all of them are making me more uncomfortable than the last. <laughs> anyway, I think the the point here is if we lack free will, does that mean that we are absolved from the consequences of our actions? In this case, morally or religiously, spiritually? If we legitimately did not choose our actions, if we absolutely had no control over how we behaved or chose, and the outcomes were what they were, we have no credit for their outcome, nor should we have any blame for them. So that's holy, spiritual, philosophical judgment being passed down. What about our, as humans, systems of morality and punishment? The legal system, for example, if we are not morally culpable for our actions, should we be criminally or legally held culpable and or punished for them. And in a certain sense, predominantly the liberal side of the political spectrum is already amending social and specifically legal apparatus in recognition of a degree of determinism. In their case, I think that they focus more on the nurture side of things, though. I take issue with the idea that they're specifically focusing on the nurture side of things. Thinking about how a lot of people's circumstances born of biology impact their ability to engage with the legal system is also definitely taken into consideration. There are people who may have experienced a mental issue that they were born with or a physical limitation that could perhaps have driven a specific outcome. And I do think that people are taking those sorts of circumstances into account. But again, how you choose to behave based on something that happened is still heavily weighed in, in a justice system. That, that's true. I think if you're talking about maybe a lack of mental capacity to understand the crimes you're committing, but I think that's been accepted for a while now that that limits the amount and types and quality of choices that people could make. Um, and they do things that they don't have the capacity to understand like what the ramifications of them are. But I guess The point I'm getting at here is more contemporaneously looking at the circumstances that one might be living in and how, even though it seems as they have full capacity to have free will to make choices on their own, we are starting to think that those choices are pressured, manipulated, determined in a certain way and adjusting the way that they interact with our legal system because of it. If we take that to the full determinist side of things then, and we're looking at the situations in which a person was raised or came to be within a society and how that voided any free will they may have had, does that mean that our justice system or other structures like it would have to be amended to evaluate every single person on an individual basis every time there's a violation of the law? Will laws altogether have to change because you cannot apply one standard to multiple people because every single person has a different circumstance that applies to them and lack of control over how they behave as a result of it? To put this into context, I think on the nurture side of things, let's take an example of two teenagers that might both commit the same crime. Say they assault a fellow student at their school, stab them with a knife. The victim ends up passing away. They have now murdered somebody. The court has a decision to make on whether to try the perpetrator as an adult or as a juvenile. And I think in most cases, they will have to take into consideration 
the circumstances around that child's upbringing that led them to this situation. And in a sense, that's saying that, hey, they either did or did not have complete control, complete autonomy, free will over the act that they took. Either yes, in which case they're an adult, or no, that their circumstances had enough influence over their actions that we're going to try them as somebody that had less capacity. I could see that being a possibility. Let's say that a teenager grew up in a very disadvantageous household without a strong moral code, lack of influence from steady presence of the parents or parental figures, perhaps moved around a lot, faced economic adversity, perhaps was exposed to drugs. These are all things that adjust their ability to think in the same level of clarity as somebody making a fully rational choice because they were not given the proper tools to utilize to make those judgments for themselves. Whereas another teenager perhaps did have all of that, was raised by the same family their whole life, did not have the influence of drugs or poverty at play, had a good friend base and social life and didn't move around a ton. They probably knew a little bit better about what was actually right and wrong and had the full capacity to choose to do something and probably have the same sort of judgment that an adult would have had in that circumstance. And they chose poorly. Okay. So the precedent is there. It's something we already do, but now let's take this conversation that we're having and let's say that determinism is real. At that point, would we have to apply these same sort of judgments? This is the question you were asking. Would we have to apply these same sort of judgments to adults now? Every circumstance. Would nobody be culpable for their actions if all actions are predetermined? That would be very inconvenient. Inconvenient, but perhaps right. I think we both recall a lot of outrage about the types of people that were on the death row in Texas for some time, people with diminished mental capabilities who perhaps were not able to determine what's right and wrong, being determined fully responsible for crimes that they allegedly committed and being sentenced to death as a result. Yeah, it would be inefficient to evaluate all of these people on an individual basis, but it would probably be correct to do so. And that's the other half of it. We we were talking just about nurture, but certainly nature as a predetermining factor is something that plays into the criminal justice system or potentially should play more into the criminal justice system were it proven true. We have anger management issues. Like, how far would we take this? An anger management issue could be very realistically something that's genetic. If you are genetically disposed to that and you are then placed in a situation where that manifests itself, a bar fight, you walk in on your girlfriend, your wife cheating with somebody, uh, any of these scenarios, and you act angrily as someone that is genetically predisposed to anger, does that lessen your moral culpability? I think it would have to. If you're fully out of control and your emotions are driven by something that you'd, you had no choice in developing, how could you possibly be seen as responsible? Mm. And this could be anything from more susceptible to addiction, less intelligent might make you more likely to commit certain crimes. You have less capacity to act appropriately in a number of situations. It's any case where the outcome is the same, but the manner or the state of the person or the upbringing or conditions of the person would have to affect how any particular crime is tried. And there is precedence for that in how the legal system evaluates intent. It's a little less refined than we're talking about, but the distinctions between things like manslaughter and murder, the outcome is a person is dead who shouldn't be. Most of the time, people shouldn't be dead, right? But if somebody did something unintentionally that led to someone's death, they are treated less seriously by the legal system as somebody who would have premeditated a murder or even flown into a fit of rage, but knew that they were actively choosing to kill somebody. The legal system has some mechanisms for evaluating how much control people had over the situation. 
And one aspect of the legal system is this is the punishment you deserve, quote unquote. Another aspect would be deterrence, using punishment for crimes as a deterrence. But if this is all true, if determinism is true, does the law even have a point anymore? If people are just going to do what they were always going to do, no matter environmental or societal pressures. That would explain something that we talked about on some previous episodes considering criminal justice is that prison and the death penalty and other things like that do not achieve the outcomes that they intend, like deterrence. People still commit crimes. (laughs) People are uh, no less inclined to commit crimes because there are things like the death penalty in effect. It doesn't have any sway over how people behave. And so it would stand to reason that therefore people are going to commit crimes whether or not there's a punishment for them. And people are going to choose most of the time not to commit crimes whether or not there's a punishment for them just because they're predisposed to not do that sort of thing. So if we are predetermined, all of our actions, and this has been always the case, and we just haven't thought about it or or realized it up until now, it certainly seems that acknowledging that and acknowledging the lack of free will that we have in terms of assigning moral culpability to people, whether that just be purely on a principled level or whether that manifests itself in a legal system to now where we have more just punishments that recognize these factors, that all seems great. But there are, if determinism is true, particularly biological determinism, there are also some problematic implications to that as well. Is this another dun-dun-dun moment? (laughs) I feel like I've been monopolizing all of the bum-bum-bums for this episode, so I'll let you do it if you want. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> so to, to cut the suspense here, the problematic implications I'm referring to, and this is a very common criticism of biological determinism, actually, is that it provides ammunition to those who would support eugenics. Gross. Apparently, Kelly is not one of those people. <laughs> I think it's pretty safe to say I do not support eugenics. Is that the one thing that's going to be the reason I might still have a chance running for office in this country. Oh, it depends. I disavow eugenics. Did you choose to disavow eugenics or are you predetermined to disavow eugenics? Either way, as we've said multiple times, we know I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that you can take credit for it. I think the world gets credit for that. Okay. But the idea here is that if some people make better decisions than others, I don't think that that part's debatable. And if those decisions are determined inside of a person's genome, then we could theoretically select for a population that makes better decisions. Well, then I've got no chance because I've made some very, very bad decisions in my life. But this falls dangerously close to other types of genetic selection, but maybe takes it to a more perverted level rather than selecting people who are healthy, taller, stronger, etc. Now we're selecting people who are more virtuous based on their genomes. It starts to get fun. It was already creepy, but now it's starting to get real creepy. I suppose people would look at this and manipulate the information or interpret it how they would like to support a conclusion that they've already come to. Perhaps their conclusion was predetermined that they were trying to craft a specific outcome. And I see this in two ways. The supporters of eugenics who would look at things that are inherent about people are looking for a way to enforce inequity. They're looking for a way to create different classes of people or eliminate certain types of people altogether from society and only have a specific type of person be the people who populate the earth. But there's also the possibility that people will recognize the inherent characteristics of people, things that we had no control over, and see that as a way of justifying creating more equity, taking into account, like we just talked about with the justice system, all of the different circumstances that led to specific outcomes and adjusting society to accommodate them rather than trying to get those people weeded out of the population. This is certainly like most scientific discoveries or realities of the world 
It can be used positively. It can be used negatively. What do you think, though? Coming to the end of this, we've talked about whether or not determinism is real. We've talked about free will versus or maybe in collaboration with nature and nurture. What do you think the reality of the situation is? What's controlling? What's dictating our choices? And if it is predetermined, do you think that's a positive thing for society? Do you think we could mold or shape our systems, the way we see each other, the way we interact with each other, to better accommodate a world where we recognize that we don't have free will, that not all of our choices are actually our choices? Would that be a better world or are we happy with where we're at right now where people take responsibility for the decisions that we at least think that they make? I'm not quite sure how I feel about the overall yes or no on the free will question because I experience things that are outside of my control governing my behavior all of the time and my conscious effort to fight against it all of the time because I have ADHD and it severely impacts how I operate my life. The way that I make decisions day to day, my inability to remember things, my lack of active choice in becoming hyper-focused on something, and yet I become hyper-focused on it, even though I know I should go to bed instead. Those are all things that are demonstrably outside of my control, and yet I am compelled to do them almost like I am a marionette to my ADHD. But I try to fight it when I can recognize it in myself as well. So I create a lot of systems for reminders. I force myself out of a hyper-focused nosedive all of the time. And once I became aware of what ADHD is and all of the ways that it chooses things for me, I was able to start fighting back against those choices and start to exert my own will into the equation. So I think that extrapolates out to a larger, it's probably a mix of a lot of things, that there are things outside of our control. We have a certain biology. We have certain circumstances based on how we came into this world and the world around us, which shaped us. But we also can recognize that we get to make choices with all of those factors as well. We can't choose to become taller or things like that. Although there's apparently billions of YouTube videos trying to help people learn to become taller. They're hilarious. You should look them up. I could use some of that. Another like two, three inches would be great. I could use the ones on becoming shorter if they have any of those too. Can you just pass some of that over here? There's all of these things that are outside of our control. But once we go through the process of self-discovery and consciously becoming aware of all of these factors and how they've influenced the way that we operate in the world, we, I think, then get to use those inputs and decide the next steps that we take with them. I think we do get to choose all of these things to an extent if we have the capabilities to do so. When we're talking about things like the justice system and people who legitimately are not in control of themselves, I do think that's also very real. There are plenty of things that people have no control over that they still are technically the cause of. We should evaluate them on a case-by-case basis. But I think it's a mix of all of the things, the biology, the nurture, and the you of it all is still present to some degree and is the the arbiter of everything at the end of the day. And, And Josh, how do you feel about this whole thing? Do you think we're the masters of our own destiny or are we just puppets as well. It feels good to think that I am the master of my own destiny, but I think there's another episode we're going to agree with each other for the most part. I might have a slightly different take here, but I do agree that the combination is the most realistic. I don't believe that nature, nurture determine the choices we do make, but rather I think that it determines the choices that we don't. In my mind, our genetics in large part and experiences in smaller part place parameters on the decisions and actions that we might, quote, choose in any given scenario. So 
while we have some semblance of free will, it happens with constraints. When you're choosing what career to go into, I don't think that determinism dictates exactly the job you're going to take, but I think that there are people out there who would never, for example, end up doing blue collar work. I think that there are people out there who are fated to go into the military or become a cop or work security, etc. I think that there are people out there who are doomed to get in and probably stay in some sort of healthy, some sort of unhealthy relationship. Some people will get addicted to something. Others will never commit themselves to anything. So does that make me a determinist in a pure sense? Probably not. But my beliefs certainly lie on that end of the spectrum. And I suppose if that's the case, adjusting society to take that into consideration seems like the responsible thing to choose to do. Eh? This is actually a very relevant question today based on something that I saw on Twitter. Everything comes back to social media for me. Mm, I'm surprised not TikTok again. No, I do multiple different kinds of social media. Indubitably also does a couple different types of social media, Facebook and Twitter at IndubitablyPod. Where you can also answer the question that I have seen posed around Twitter today. And it's been on my mind all day, which is, would you rather have like $100 million right now or go back to being six years old with everything you know now? I'm going to let you answer first. I would rather go back to being six years old. And why is that? Because I I think that I could make more than a million dollars with the knowledge that I have in the head start like that. hundred million dollars. I'm going to need you to have a little bit more faith in me. I, I, could, I could make that too. When this question popped up, I immediately knew I would go back to being six years old with all the knowledge I have right now. And I sat running through a scenario after scenario in which I would have chosen differently. And had I the the knowledge and the foresight to make better choices, because if I knew what the outcomes were going to be at the time, I would be a very different person. But I also probably wouldn't have been sad and lonely enough to join a debate team in high school. So we probably wouldn't have had the podcast. <laughs> well, in a world where we have the power to rewind time, maybe determinism doesn't exist. But as it stands... I think it sounds like you agree to a certain extent that at least it has some impact for our listeners. We've mentioned our socials. Let us know if you think determinism is real or not, or whether you like the feeling of free will. And let us know if you'd rather be a kindergartner with the knowledge of a 38-year-old. Oh, you just told everybody how old you are. It's fine. I'm still in my 20s. Yep. Which is really weird that we competed the exact same time in college <laughs> debate. You were like nine at the time. <laughs> I was real smart. I was real smart. Oh, you were already the six-year-old who went back in time. <laughs> <laughs> and then it all went downhill. This episode is already confusing enough without bringing time travel into it. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm. You could say that. I gotta do I need a... You could say that. I see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he's expecting to wake up. Ironically, that's not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neo? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs>